going to be the theme of our sermon this morning. I ask that you would take God's holy word and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 as we continue working our way through this book of wisdom, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And this morning, we will be looking at verses 1 through 7. The title of the sermon this morning is Fear God. Fear God. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, we ask that you would help us to draw near to your word with, with joy mixed with trembling and fear. For this is your very voice that you have to say to us today to teach us and to guide us and to train us and disciple us. And so, Lord, we ask that through your spirit you would fill us with a holy and reverent fear and awe of you, that we may be obedient to this portion of your word, walking in the power of your Holy Spirit after the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us for our sins and was raised from the dead for our justification and our sanctification, and our glorification. It is in his name that we pray and come to you this morning. Amen. Imagine two people are out hiking in the woods, and they come across a really angry bear. It's a mama bear. She can't find her cub. She's growling and she's snarling. And the two people hiking in the woods, they stop. Person one filled with fear and trembling, stands still, doesn't make a sound, tries to contemplate, what do I do? What do I do? Second person, doesn't care, not filled with fear. It's just a harmless old bear. What can it do to me? And so it just tries to nonchalantly walk past the bear. Which person is the bear going to go after? The wise one that stands still out of fear and trembling or the, the foolish one who, who treats the bear with no respect and no reverence for, for the power that is in an angry bear and what an angry bear can do to a human being. Well, of course, the bear is going to go after the fool, right? The nonchalant one who walks up to the bear and treats it as if it was a little puppy and the bear is going to leave that person 
alone, who was full of fear and trembling, but remained still, stood still in its awe and fear and tried to reason and ration, okay, what do I do now? Up to this point in Ecclesiastes, Solomon has talked about many aspects of life, but one that he has not talked about is worship. Worship in a fallen world. And today Solomon is going to contrast wise and foolish approaches to God in worship. And here is the big idea of this passage. Here's what I want you to write down. If you don't remember anything else from the sermon today, here's what I want you to write down. The fear of God involves true worship from the heart. The fear of God involves true worship from the heart. So Solomon is going to connect and relate the idea of the fear of God, and he's going to relate it specifically to the sphere of worship this morning. So let's dig in and look at the details that flow from this main idea. And first, we must ask ourselves, what does the fear of God mean? I mean, Solomon tells us at the end, God is the one you must fear, but what does that mean? Is this like the fear that we experience when we're afraid of the dark or afraid of spiders? Or is this the fear that we experience if we watch a, a horror movie and we're caught off guard and they surprise us and startle us? Or is this a, a holy reverence and awe and respect that treats God reverently for who he is? One aspect of the fear of God involves faith. Proverbs chapter 1 and Psalm 111 both say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. Unbelievers do not and indeed cannot pursue after godly wisdom or, or godly knowledge because they do not have a heart of faith. They refuse to listen to God's wisdom and to God's knowledge. But believers fear the Lord and pursue after wisdom and knowledge that comes from God out of a heart of faith because God has granted to believers the faith to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So you can only fear God if you have been converted, if you have been saved. The fear of God involves faith. It also involves obedience. After Abraham passes the test of, of the attempted sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, God says this to Abraham, Now I know that you fear God, that you are willing to obey me to the point of killing the son of promise, your only son of promise, because you trust in me. The author of Hebrews says that Abraham believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead, even if he carried it out. Now I know that you fear God. Abraham demonstrated his faith by obeying the Lord's word. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 12 says, What does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. And here's how it explains and describes to fear the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways. That's obedience. To love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That's the fear of God. 
The fear of the Lord from a heart of faith produces love for God, obedience to what he commands, and serving him with our whole being. So when we put faith and obedience together, we can say that from Scripture, to fear God is this, to demonstrate faith and love toward God by godly obedience from a heart that has been changed by God, and recognizes that God is creator and judge and master and father. I'll say that again. To fear God is to demonstrate faith and love toward God by godly obedience from a heart that has been changed by God and recognizes that God is creator and judge and master and father. So how do we demonstrate faith and love toward God by godly obedience when it comes to worship? From verse 1, we see the fear of God involves receiving the word of God rather than external religious hypocrisy. I'll say that again. The fear of God involves receiving the word of God rather than external religious hypocrisy. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. The word listen in the Old Testament is more than just a a physical listening. It it, it means obedience. It means to keep what you have heard. It's It's a spiritual listening. We do this today as parents and grandparents, do we not? You, you say something to your child and, and your child doesn't obey you. Are you listening to me? Why didn't you listen to me? What you're really saying is, why didn't you obey me? They may have heard you with their physical ears, but they didn't truly listen because they didn't obey. That's the same idea with this word listen in the Old Testament. The wise person will come prepared to receive the word of God, to draw near to listen, to draw near to obey God in the house of God. Prepared to receive the word of God as well as to act on what was received from the word of God. How many times do you and I come to church and we're already distracted? Our mind is on the sports game or the or the NASCAR race, or, or the March Madness that's coming up, or, or it's on the, all the work that you've got to do that, got, that didn't get done the previous week. It's on, it's on the work you have to do this upcoming week. Or it's on the clock because you're hungry and you just can't wait to get out and beat the Baptist to Bojangles. Or perhaps it's on the fight or the trouble that you have experienced within your family this past week and it just won't leave you alone. You, you can't forget the words that were said and the fight that you had with your spouse or with your children. It's Sunday morning and we've already gotten upset at our spouse or our children because we lost an hour of sleep. We have a scowl in our hearts. But we put a smile on our face as soon as we walk through those doors and see people. We don't want people to know what's really going on in our heart. We're distracted, we're upset, we're angry, we're frustrated, and we're coming to the house of God, and we have not guarded our steps. How many times do your thoughts begin to wander when you are praying 
How many times have you started a, a Bible study or a Bible reading plan, and, but you haven't seen it through to completion because you got busy with other things and it just fell to the wayside? Solomon here in verse 1 tells us that there is a right way and a wrong way to approach the presence of God in his house. He says that there is something for us to hear from God whenever we come to corporate worship. Acts 15 says that Moses was read in the synagogue every Sabbath. And Paul instructs Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 to preach the word. This is why our entire service is, is, is centered on the word of God. We preach the word, we pray the word, we sing the word. We literally sing the word when we sing the psalm. We read the word. Everything is centered around the word. We're called to worship from the word. We're blessed from the word. There is plenty for us to hear and receive from God here in corporate worship on Sunday morning. And we are to be spiritually prepared to receive from God what he has to say to us in his word through his spirit. So as we draw near to the house of God on Sunday mornings, we we ought to have these questions ringing in our minds and on our hearts. Is my heart ready to receive from God? Are my ears open, truly opened? Is my mind focused? Am I ready to act and prepared to act on whatever is preached on and read on in obedience to God? Now contrast this with the fool who offers sacrifices of fools. He offers hypocritical sacrifices. They do not know that they are doing evil. This is a, a, a constant refrain throughout the entire Old Testament. God's people constantly were hypocritical when it came to sacrifices. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul got impatient waiting for Samuel, and so he offered sacrifices to God instead of waiting for Samuel to show up. And in response, God says to Saul, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen, there's that word, is better than the fat of rams. The Lord says to a wicked and hypocritical Judah in Hosea 6.6, 6, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. And we just confess in our confession of sin that, that God does not delight in sacrifices. What does God delight in? A broken and contrite spirit he will not despise. God does not accept sacrifices that are not offered up from faith. Look at Cain. What he offered was acceptable to God, as far as the material content goes, but it was not offered from a heart of faith. And so that's why the Lord rejected Cain's sacrifice and had regard for Abel's sacrifice. God does not accept blemished sacrifices. The Old Testament is replete where when Israel was wicked and had gone astray from God, they offered lame lambs and blind and spotted lambs. They didn't offer what God required. Oh, this is good enough. Neither will God accept our hypocritical sacrifices. God will not accept our this is good enough sacrifices. 
The Lord struck down Ananias and Sapphira for lying to the Holy Spirit when the church was assembled. The Lord struck down Nadab and Abihu for offering strange fire. Solomon says here that the sacrifice of fools is doing evil. God will not accept evil. God cannot accept evil because he is holy. He will not accept half-hearted worship, hypocritical worship, or holier-than-thou worship. Sometimes it happens here, it happens at other churches, people, people leave worship early. Variety of reasons. Unless there's some emergency or you're feeling sick, what that's really saying to God is, I've got someplace better to be. I don't have time to finish the worship service because I've got this other event that I've got to go to. I don't have time to sing one more song to you. I don't have time to receive your blessing and the benediction. You've called me to worship, but you know what? I'm going to leave when I want to leave rather than leaving after you've blessed me. I'm not going to stay and wrestle with you like Jacob did until you bless me. So aren't we thankful for Jesus Christ who forgives us even for half-hearted, hypocritical, holier-than-thou worship? Philip Ryken proclaims, quote, understand that whenever we go to worship, we enter the presence of a holy God who has gathered his holy people to hear his holy word. If we take this for granted, not listening to what God says, then the Bible says that we are guilty of great evil, for we have despised the gospel of the cross and the empty tomb, end quote. The fool worships hypocritically. The wise person worships in spirit and truth with joy and trembling in the fear of God. From verses 2 and 3, we see the fear of God involves thoughtful and honest prayer rather than hypocritical prayer. The fear of God involves thoughtful and honest prayer rather than hypocritical prayer. Notice that in the context of talking about being in the house of God, Solomon says, don't be rash with your mouth. Don't let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, in the presence of God. So he's talking about words that we utter here together in corporate worship. His focus is on prayer as well as our confessions. When we confess our sins, when we confess our faith. One of our prayers of confession, that's part of our rotation, we confess that prayers have been uttered from a prayerless heart. How often is that true of us? Is that true of us when we come to, to gather and, and confess our sins and confess our faith? Do we, do we sing the hymns and, and especially the psalm, which is a prayer as well as a song, do we sing the hymns and the psalm without really giving thought to what they mean? Do we sing them with our lips but not from our hearts? Owning the words is coming as if they were our own. Proverbs chapter 12 likens rash words to sword thrusts. When we are hypocritical in the words that we utter, either in prayer or in confession or, or singing, it's like thrusting a sword into God himself. This is what Jesus warns against in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, 
for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Let your words be few, Solomon says at the end of verse 2. Let them be honest and thoughtful, not rash and uttered from a, a hasty heart. Because you are talking to God. You're not talking to your neighbor. You're not talking to another human being. You are talking to God himself in corporate worship. When you pray, when you sing, when you confess your sins, when you confess your faith. You're talking to God. Think about the prayers that were offered by the priests of Baal on Mount Carmel. Their prayers and incantations were so long that 1 Kings 17 indicates they stood there praying for over four hours to their false god. From morning till noon, it says in the text, they were praying to their false god, repeating words and long phrases and empty phrases over and over and over again. And what's the man of God doing? He's standing there mocking them. Well, perhaps he had to go to the bathroom and relieve himself. Maybe that's why he's not hearing your prayer and sending fire down from heaven. Prayers and the words we use in worship are not a manipulation of God or striking a bargain with him. You can honor God with your lips, according to Matthew 15, while your heart is far from him. This is the type of prayer that's typical in the Roman Catholic church, where you, if you say so many Hail Marys over and over again, or so many Our Fathers, your sins will be forgiven, and you've done your penance for repeating the same prayer over and over again, or, or praying the rosary so many times. Their, their prayers are repetitive, and there's, there's nothing magical about simply saying those words. That was the problem with the, the prayer of Jabez that was so popular back in the, the early 2000s. The, the author said, this is the prayer that God must answer. And so if you repeat this prayer over and over and over again like a mantra, you will have everything that is in this prayer. Your, your, your borders will be increased. You'll have all your heart's desire. No, that's manipulation. It's the same thing with the prosperity gospel and the charismatic movement. They believe that if you simply attach Jesus' name to whatever you want, then God must grant your request. At the beginning of the, of the COVID pandemic, <laughs> I, I saw this viral video on social media. It was Kenneth Copeland, who's a, a name it and claim it prosperity minister, and he was praying, quote-unquote, he said, COVID, I blow you away and declare you gone in the name of Jesus. It didn't go away. He should be stoned as a false prophet. According to the Old Testament, at least, maybe excommunicated in the church, in the New Testament. But that's a rash prayer. That's praying without truly understanding what prayer is. That's simply saying, I can declare whatever I want, and if I simply attach the name of Jesus to it, then boom, it's magic. And it's going to happen. Rather, we are to approach God in corporate worship with our words being thoughtful, with our words being from the heart, with our words being saturated in Scripture, rather than flippant, long-winded, and careless words. 
John Bunyan says this, quote, In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Better to have a heart without words in prayer than words without a heart. And Solomon tells us why. Look at verse 2 again. Because God is in heaven and you are on earth. Why are we not to be rash with our mouths and utter a hasty word in corporate worship and our prayers and confessions and singing? It's because of the creator-creature distinction. We are coming into the presence of the king of the universe and approaching to dare to speak to him. Let me ask you, what would you do if you were invited to speak to the queen of England and meet her? Hey, queenie, how you doing? Would you just try to wing it <laughs> without giving any thought to your, to your words? Or would you be deliberate in what you wanted to say and, and how you wanted to say it and what you wanted to convey? I mean, think about, think about the times that people, when they're getting married, write their own vows. and they, Do you wing your vows? Or do you put thought and time into it? Because this is what I really want to say to you. How much more so should we do that with the king of kings? In verse 3, Solomon puts it in a proverbial form, this principle about being not rash or hasty in corporate worship. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. In other words, when our minds are filled with so much business, we end up having dreams that, that disturb our sleep and can make us perplexed. And so, so when we're working too hard, it expresses itself in dreams, and a fool expresses himself, a fool's voice, with many words. The words we use in prayer and corporate worship reveal what is in our heart and on our mind and what they are filled with, either with wisdom or foolishness. Thoughtful, considerate, scripture-saturated prayer and words in corporate worship are just winging it. Being hasty, not giving it any thought. And so the fear of God involves receiving the word of God. It involves thoughtful and honest prayer. Finally, from verses 4 through 7, we see the fear of God involves keeping your word. Keeping your word. When you vow a vow to God, verse 4, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. So here Solomon is talking about vows, and in the Old Testament, vows were additional, additional acts of worship. Uh, scripture, Leviticus, talks about free will offerings. These are not the required offerings of the, the whole burnt offering or the sin offering or the guilt offering or any of that. This was just, hey, you know what? I want to offer another offering to God because he's God and I love him. And he is, he's heard my prayers, he's answered me, and I want to thank him. So this is, this is words, these are vows that we make that go beyond the ordinary elements of corporate worship, but nevertheless they are acts of worship and have religious significance. Think about when, when somebody's baptized. If it's an adult, 
they take vows. Or if it's a child, the parents take vows on behalf of the child. And the church takes vows to raise that child in the covenant community. We take marriage vows. Marriage is a worship service. You don't have to get married. But when you do, you make vows. And you've got to keep those vows. Because you've made those vows in the presence of God. We take church membership vows here in the presence of God. Elder vows, deacon vows. I've taken vows. I'm under vows as a minister. These vows are promises that we make primarily towards God, and God expects us to keep our vows. He expects us to keep our words, to be truthful because He is truth. Pay what you vow and don't delay in paying it, verse 4 says. A fool delays in paying a vow. Our, our natural tendency is to forget words that we have said. How many of you can here remember the, the marriage vows that you took? Wow, I thought I'd see more hands. How many of you can remember the church membership vows you took? Wow, I did not expect that. <laughs> I expect to see more on the marriage vows than the membership vows. Well, very good. I'm glad. We easily forget words that we have said. Oh, Lord, if you, if you do this, I promise I'll never do this other thing ever again. How many times have we prayed that? Trying to manip manipulate God, and then God, in his grace and mercy, actually honors and answers that type of prayer, and we forget that we prayed it to begin with. Well, God, if you will get me out of this situation, I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll, I'll tithe $1,000 a month. And we forget the words that we've spoken to God. So we are called to pay our vows in a prompt manner before we forget that we even made that vow to begin with. A prime example from the Old Testament of this type of additional act of worship that's not required by God, uh, but that you could offer to God, was the Nazarite vow in the Old Testament. Not every Israelite was required to take a Nazarite vow, but you could, and if you did, there were stern warnings to keep that vow. Samson was under a Nazarite vow. Look what happened to him when he broke it. In Samuel chapter 1, Hannah makes a vow to the Lord for a male child, and she keeps her vow. And giving Samuel to the Lord and having him dedicated to temple service. On the flip side, Jephthah in the book of Judges utters a hasty vow. Lord, whatever comes out of my house first to greet me, I will sacrifice to you because of this victory that you've given to me. And what comes out of his house to greet him but his daughter? That was a hasty vow. Therefore, Solomon can say in verse 5, it's better that you should not vow at all than that you should vow and not pay because then you've made yourself a liar. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger, verse 6, that it was a mistake. Are you really going to say that to God? Solomon's saying, huh. hey God, um, remember that vow I took? Yeah, I should have taken that vow. And so I'm just, I'm just not going to keep it anymore I'm not going to try to keep it I shouldn't have made it I'm sorry it was an error thanks 
Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Verse 6 says. That's how God responds to vows as acts of worship that we do not keep. All these words uttered rashly from a hasty heart, whether prayers, songs, confessions, additional free will vows as an act of worship, they are all empty and meaningless. They are hebel, verse 7. When the words grow many, there is vanity. Your worship is worthless and empty and meaningless. If you're not doing it from a heart that has been converted by and washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, in which you are offering willingly and wholeheartedly with thoughts, ready to act and obey God, ready to say to Him what you really want to say to Him. God is the one you must fear. In all of this, according to Dr. Ben Shaw, quote, Solomon's advice is that when one deals with God, one does so seriously and with forethought. God takes these things seriously. We ought to also, end quote. That's basically what Ben said this morning in Sunday school. God takes serious, serious things, and worship is a serious matter. You know, approximately a thousand years after Solomon, there was another preacher that came along. He preached on this topic. In Hebrews chapter 12, we are told that when we gather for corporate worship, we are entering into the presence of God the judge through the blood of Christ, whose blood speaks a better word than Abel. And our voices... Here today, whether you, you feel it or whether you sense it or not, the reality is, is our voices in corporate worship come and join and blend in with the voices of angels and Old Testament saints and New Testament saints and all of our friends, loved ones, and family members who have died in the Lord. Our voices join with theirs in corporate worship as we enter into the presence of God through Christ Jesus. And here's how that preacher concludes in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. This is holy ground when we gather to gather to worship God. He was a consuming fire in the Old Testament. He was a consuming fire in the New Testament. He's a consuming fire today. We are to approach him with fear, trembling, reverence, awe. Because he's a consuming fire. The person who approaches God with fear and trembling yet stands still before the Lord in his majesty and in his glory and the fullness of his might is like that person, that first person who encountered that bear and filled with fear stood still. It remains calm though fearful when encountering the bear, thoughtful and deliberate in what they do in relative position to the bear. They are, in the words of James 1, slow to speak because I am in the presence of the living God. 
the person who approaches God without thinking, without reverence, the person who approaches church like it's a social club is like that foolish person who casually walks up to the bear without thinking about who or what he or she is approaching. Without thinking about what he or she should actually do. The question before us today is, how do I come to worship God? How do I come to worship God? The only way to come to God and worship is through Jesus Christ. Philip Ryken says this, quote, When we know that even our worship is forgiven, because we are sinners, that even our worship is forgiven in Christ, then God will accept me, we say. No, excuse me. Then we can approach God with joyful confidence. We can approach God with joyful confidence when we know that even our worship is forgiven. Rather than saying, if I worship the right way, then God will accept me, that's a form of legalism. That's works-based. We say, I am already accepted through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and now it's my privilege to worship God the way he wants to be worshipped. So Solomon here in this passage tells us to, to slow down and be, be reverent toward God. Sometimes we want to speed our way through the worship service. Sometimes we want to speed our way through our prayers. Unfortunately, my Bible app on my phone that I use for my Bible reading, it has the function to, to allow the, the, the speeding up of the reading. It will read God's word to me, and I can speed it up. So the temptation is there to listen to the word of God on one and a half or two times speed, basically having a chipmunk read the Bible to me, rather than to slow down play it at the normal speed so that I can take in and listen to the word of God as I follow along while reading it. I'm, I'm, I'm using both senses, my, my sight as well as my hearing, to take in the word of God, but I can speed it up when I'm tempted. Oh, I've got so much to do today, I need to get this over with, so I'm going to play it at one and a half speed. I've missed the whole point when I get into that type of thinking. I've missed the fear of God. When it comes to fearing God, haste truly does make waste. It's wasted words, it's wasted time, it's wasted energy on pious acts that are not acceptable to God because they're not offered from a heart of faith that has been regenerated by the powerful working of God's Holy Spirit, uniting us to Christ by faith. It's a waste of time. You might as well not even come than to come full of anger, hypocritically, half-hearted, trying to come out and offer God a blemished lamb for sacrifice rather than the, the, uh, offering ourselves up as a living sacrifice and the, the sacrifice of praise being on our lips. I don't feel like worshiping you today. I don't feel like praising you, but Lord God, you made me, you saved me. And so even though my heart and my mind are working against me, my flesh is striving against me, Lord God, give me your spirit because I'm going to worship you. So how do we combat this temptation, these temptations to be, to be hasty and rash in our approach to God while, while at the same time uh, trying to make sure that we're approaching God like that bear, reverently and with awe. 
with a respect for who we're doing business with. Three, three suggestions. First, be prayerful. Be prayerful. Instead of sitting down and just reading what is next in Scripture, pray and ask God's Spirit to open your eyes and help you draw out the treasure that is there. Pray before you get to your Bible reading and ask God to illumine the text for you. Be prayerful on Sunday morning, individually and as a family, as you get, get ready for, for worshiping God on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Three excellent books I would commend you to help you assist you in your prayers so that they're not rash and hasty. The Valley of Vision, a collection of Puritan prayers. Matthew Henry has a book, A Method for Prayer. It's excellent. And we also have, have uh, Richard Pratt's Pray With Your Eyes Open in our church library. We went through that book on a, on a Wednesday night several years ago. It's fantastic. Avail yourself of these resources to, to help you be prayerful and reverent as you approach to God, whether it's in private worship, family worship, and especially in corporate worship. Second, be thoughtful. Be thoughtful. Get to bed on time on Saturday nights rather than staying up past midnight because of some sports event or get-together. You're far more likely to be flippant and hasty with God when, you are, when you're working from only a few hours of sleep, like today, rather than a full night's rest. If somebody is having an event on a Sunday afternoon, tell them that you will be late rather than leaving church early to make it there on time. Or even better yet, tell them, I'm sorry, I'm going to miss it because I'm going to honor the Lord on this, his day. Do honest business with God first before doing business with others. Not just when you can fit it in. Not when you just feel like it. Folks, your, your heart is deceitful. Your feelings are fleeting. Your flesh works against you. Think about your weekly plans and all that has to be done and Organize them and arrange them so that the Lord and corporate worship is at the center of your plans rather than on the periphery. I'll go there if I get everything else done first. The bulletin for the upcoming service is usually on the website by Tuesday no later than Wednesday. Get the, get the bulletin in advance and, and read the passage for the sermon or, or the New Testament and Old Testament reading and Pray that God would speak to you through his word as you, as you read it and prepare to come hear it preached on Sunday mornings. Guard those steps as you approach the house of God. And the approach to the house of God begins on Monday as soon as you've left the house of God to prepare for the next Lord's Day and approach to the house of God again. And finally, be honest. Be honest. The Lord knows when we do not feel like praying. He knows when we do not feel like going to worship. He knows when we do not feel like keeping our word. He knows your temptations and my temptations. He knows it already. Instead of thoughtlessly going through the motions, confess to the Lord. Ask for forgiveness through Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, you can come to worship and worship falsely through external observance and prayerless prayers and not keeping your word and your vows that you've made. Or you can come to worship and worship truly from a heart that has been changed by Christ 
who enables us to receive the word of God as the word of God, who enables us to be thoughtful in our prayers, and who enables us to keep our words as well as our vows. It is Christ who enables you and me to fear God. And this is what the fear of God looks like in corporate worship. Listen to the word. Do not utter a rash word from a hasty heart. Keep your word and pay your vows. Amen and amen. Let us pray.